Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. This week in news on Eye on the Triangle, a brief rundown of the latest news. Thank you for tuning in to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC. My name is Evan Garris. And I'm Jack Boyer. And now for your latest headlines. Nearly 60,000 people attended the U2 concert at Carter-Finley Stadium on Saturday night, but not without complaints. It isn't the music they're upset about, it's parking. According to WRAL, some concert goers ended up sitting in hours of traffic on eastbound I-40 prior to the start of the event. Others reported being told that no parking was available as they sat in the traffic, leading to much frustration. Also, updating a story from last week, it took three rounds of voting, but the host city of the 2016 Olympic Games will be Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. The city of nearly 15 million will host the first games to be held in South America. The news came as a big disappointment to some in Chicago, which was also vying for the role along with Madrid and Tokyo. President Barack Obama made a special trip to Copenhagen to try and influence voters of the International Olympic Committee, a move which is being criticized by many here in the U.S. And on Saturday, Irish voters took the European Union one step closer to sweeping reform, according to the BBC. Voters there ratified the Treaty of Lisbon by 67 percent, a market change from its defeat a year ago. A few other nations were waiting for the referendum result in order to gain presidential assent. The fate of Europe now seemingly lands in the hands of Czech President, President Václav Klaus, who called the vote, quote, tarnished since it is a repeated referendum in a Radio Telefizeren report. If eventually passed, it could mean more power for the European Parliament and the creation of a figurehead position resembling a Prime Minister of the European Union. Free Americans will share the Nobel Prize for Medicine this year. Elizabeth H. Blackburn, Carol W. Greider, and Jack W. Sostak conducted research into the telomeres, a component of the chromosome which may offer insights into aging and cancer prevention. According to the Associated Press, it's the first time two women have shared the Nobel Prize, while only ten other women in history have ever been awarded the prize in medicine. Egypt's leading spiritual authority, Sheikh Mohammed Tantawe, is calling for full, is calling rather full face veiling of women, a practice that has nothing to do with the Islamic faith. A BBC report indicates that most women in Egypt still wear the headscarf called a, hij- a niqab. While visiting a girl's school on Saturday, the Sheikh asked a young girl to remove the garment, telling her that it had no connection with the religion or the Quran. The Shroud of Turin, a forgery. The 13-foot linen sheet purportedly burial garments of Jesus Christ imprinted with his image currently owned by the Vatican has inspired and vexed both believers and non-believers for centuries. The AP now says that the Italian Committee for Checking Claims on the Paranormal is ruling the relic a medieval forgery after carefully reproducing a way in which it could have been created. 1988 radiocarbon dating places the age of the fabric somewhere in the 13th or 14th century, but other scientific studies claim to have dated it earlier than that. The last time the shroud was on public display was in the year 2000 and is not scheduled for another exhibition until next year. And the biggest story to come out of Albertaville, Alabama, possibly ever, police have charged a woman with endangering the welfare of a child after police say that she placed a box on top of her van containing her daughter. Police received a call on Sunday from another motorist who report, who spotted the child. The woman, Denise Knott, claims that the box was too big to fit in the van and the child's weight was necessary to hold it down. While she claims the scheme was safe, after all, the box was attached to the minivan with clothes hangers. In weather, the National Hurricane Center is tracking Tropical Storm Grace, which is more likely to impact Ireland than North Carolina. The storm has winds of 50 knots and is projected to move northeastward into the British Isles sometime after tomorrow. It is the farthest northeast that a tropical storm has ever formed. 
An update to last week's story about Typhoon Andoy. The death toll in the Philippines has risen to 288, with damages near $4 billion, according to the Filipino government. The Joint Typhoon Warning Center is monitoring Super Typhoon Melor. The storm could, the storm could come ashore near Tokyo, Japan, on Wednesday with winds in excess of 120 miles per hour. For tonight's weather, expect patchy rain with showers continuing low in the mid-50s. Tomorrow brings another mostly cloudy day with on-and-off rain showers, highs in the mid-60s. The rainy weather begins to clear on Wednesday with a cloudy and drizzly morning giving way to a sunnier afternoon and temperatures in the mid to upper 70s. By Thursday, the sun returns in full with a high in the mid-70s and nighttime lows right around 50. Now, at this point, Friday is still looking sunny and warm, but a rain system may be lurking in Saturday's plans. And there is one historical anniversary of note in 1969. On this day, the first episode of Monty Python's Flying Circus was broadcast by the BBC. So the time is now 7.07 here on 88.1. And now for something completely different. Eye on the Triangle with Seja Hindi. So from Evan and I, a very good night. Uh, also, as uh, people probably know, tomorrow evening, uh, Tuesday, October 6th, it's election day for most of the Eye on the Triangle listening area. Wake County is hosting mayoral elections. Voters can choose between the current mayor, Charles Meeker, as well as Mark Enlow, Larry Hudson, and then did I? Uh, Mark Enlow, Larry Hudson, and Greg Coons. Additionally, in Raleigh, City Council Districts B, C, D, and E have contested seats, and all Raleigh voters can choose between candidates seeking at-large county seats. Students registered at the campus of North Carolina State University will be voting, and City Council, council District not, uh, D choosing between current City Council member Thomas Crowder and Ted Van Dyke. Kerry residents also in Wake County are facing contested city council races in districts A and C. And the hot election for Wake County right now is going to be the Board of Election or Board of Education in districts 1, 2, 7, and 9, where voters will be choosing whether or not they're approving of the current diversity um, policies, which involve busing students, or whether or not there's quantifiable gains from the current practice. Orange County, uh, Chapel Hill, Carborough, and Hillsborough are also holding mayoral elections. Seats are also being contested in Chapel Hill for city councils. Offices are also up for votes in the Chapel Hill and Carborough Board of Elections. And multiple candidates have thrown their cats, hats in for alderman positions in Carborough and Hillsborough uh, for the town commissioner seats. Durham voters will be selecting their choice for mayor as well as city council members and uh, for areas of wards one through three. And uh, uh, one good resource that I've found so far for Wake County elections is uh, wakeupwakecounty.com which is being hosted by the League of Women Voters. Thanks, Jacob. Next up, we have our VIP segment, the second part of our two-part series on all aspects of football games, including why some people hate them and why some people love them. Then we have Hear This with music reviews from Mike Austin, Jacob Downey, and Rachel Sloan, followed by Mike's interview with photojournalist Jason Arthurs on Community Canvas. And then, of course, we'll have our Wolfpacker of the Week. And now, here's your VIP. Eye on the Triangle's VIP. Talking to people that matter. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle's VIP on WKNC 88.1. I'm Seja Hindi. Like we talked about in our segment last week, there's a lot more to NC State football games than the game itself. These games have become not only a meeting spot for football fans, but also an all-day social event for NC State fans. However, the actual sport of football seems like a polarizing sport. Either you really love it, or you really don't. 
Football fans claim the actual game is complex, and you have to be able to fully understand it and be able to analyze plays after they happen to enjoy the game. I talked to two NC State fans with opposing views on going to football games. The first, a student, doesn't really enjoy going to games, and here's why. Hey y'all, I'm Maggie Luckadoo. I am a senior in international journalism. I actually also have a show here on WKNC, but I don't want to tell you when it is because I'm afraid that everyone is going to hate me after this segment and stop listening to my show. But I'm here to talk about football and I have a little bit of an alternative opinion to probably most people in the student body and the campus community. But since my freshman year, I have just not enjoyed going to football games. I get made fun of frequently for this fact, but I've tried. I went to all the games freshman year, but it's just too much standing up, too much being outside, and it goes on for entirely too many hours for my short attention span. Sometimes I just go to the tailgate and socialize and then go home. I've tried to do both the tailgate and the game, but six hours outside is just too much for me and my feet usually start to hurt and it's either really hot or really cold and I'm just not a very happy camper. So that's why I don't typically go to football games. It's funny that I haven't been disowned by my family yet because they are very big state fans. My sister goes to every single game. She's an alum and my parents go to every single game. They love to tailgate and they go out there as soon as the gates open. They never leave the game early, even if it's raining or if it's freezing cold, they'll sit through it. And they used to try to get me to come out there, but they kind of have given up on that because it's just a lost cause. Actually, my sister is so dedicated to NC State football. She usually starts a countdown somewhere around June of how many days left until the first game of the season and she gets so excited about it and uh, it was the first game of the season last year in 2008 and uh, she was tailgating at the game and I guess she got bitten by fire ants um, on her ankle and the next thing she knew her whole face had swollen up her arms were swelling up and she had to get taken to Rex Hospital and I was at work that day and uh, my dad called me and said I needed to come over to Rex because Kate was in the emergency room so I went over there and she had an IV hooked up to each arm and they're putting and Benadryl in her and just trying to get the swelling to go down. And she said, oh, good, you're here. You can take me back to the game. So she only missed about half of the first half. And I drove her back to the game and she just threw some sunglasses on and went into the stadium and she wasn't going to miss it, even though she'd had two IVs pumped into her and red ant bites all over her body. So that's dedication. I admire it, but I think it's a little bit crazy. My dislike for attending NC State football games actually started at a very early age. When we first moved here, my parents took me to me and my sister to a football game. I was probably five or six years old and it was pouring rain and we're sitting near the top of the stadium at Carter Finley and we're just sitting there in our poncho you can't even see a foot in front of us but we're still sitting there and I just turned to my dad and I was like why are we here and that was when my hatred for football began I will say that earlier this season, I tried to go to the South Carolina game. I signed up for a ticket. I claimed it, printed it out. I had class until late that afternoon. So as soon as I got out of class, I jumped in my car and I ended up getting stuck on Hillsborough Street for 45 minutes trying to get to the game. And by the time I actually got up to near the stadium, everyone was going in and the tailgate was over. So I just turned around and went home. And that was my failed attempt at football and just made me even more cynical about this whole thing. Throughout my time as a student, I have come to be known as the girl who never goes to the games. So this has been very beneficial for my friends. I am always asked for my student ID so that other people can use my tickets. And I'm very happy to do that um, and provide that service to my friends who may not be able to get a ticket for themselves. So that is my one contribution to the football experience. 
I will say I've had fun at a couple games. Um, I enjoy seeing people out at the tailgate. My mom usually makes really good food, so I enjoy that part. Um, it's good to catch up with old friends who come back for the games, so I like doing that. And some games have been fun, I suppose. Freshman year, I went to the app game when we beat them, and, and that was really fun, as well as the Boston College game, which I enjoyed. But I guess there are a few benefits. I'm not willing to admit to thinking that there are many Football as a sport, I don't really get it. So I played powder puff in high school a couple times, so I kind of understand the concepts of it, but it just seems so choppy to me. Like, the game could be done in so much less time if they just didn't keep stopping. I played soccer, and you just don't really stop very much in the game, but there's so many timeouts, and it's like you run five yards and then stop and kind of hang out for a little bit, and then you run five more yards, and then you stop. And I just think we could condense this to an hour and a half and I might actually sit through a whole game. I'm gonna try to go and tailgate and sit through the entire homecoming game because this is my senior year and I feel like that's really important so I'm gonna see how that goes and who knows maybe my mind will be changed here at the last minute but more power to all of you fans who go out to the games. I know we need support out there so I'm just glad that y'all are doing that so that I don't have to. I on the triangle also spoke to a former student who absolutely loves going to games. Here's what he had to say. Hey everyone, my name is Coop. I'm an alum here at NC State. I graduated back in May, and I am now an intern for the Wolfpack Club. I think football games, the entire experience together, is one of the main things that students should enjoy um, when they're in college. The entire atmosphere out on a day of a football game, from when people wake up in the morning, going through tailgating, going to the game, and staying through the whole thing, is just a really important experience. It's something that defines college in a lot of ways, especially at a big school like NC State. Tailgating, we are known for having very good tailgating here at NC State. We're very fortunate to have the all of the parking that we have out there and the space for people to go out and tailgate. And I think that people, you know, sometimes take that for granted a little bit. People should get out there early. They should set up. They should really make it a full day experience. Use the whole five hours that they have. But their day shouldn't stop there because tailgating is only a part of it. The tailgating should only be something that leads up to the actual game itself. Once the tailgating's over, people need to leave their cars as early as they need to to get into the game. They need to be in their seats by the time kickoff starts, even a little bit before that, because that's when you know the band is in there. They're doing things to try and get the crowd worked up before the start of the game, because it's not something that you know the crowd shouldn't get into it five minutes after the start of it. They need to be in it when the team comes running out of the tunnel, so that, that way at the start of the football game, the crowd is behind the team, and the team has the energy from the crowd to feed off of. The football experience for me was a huge part of my experience at NC State. I went to a smaller high school, and we actually didn't have a football team. And I felt like that was something that I kind of missed out on in high school because I had a lot of friends who were at uh, larger schools and they, you know, they were going to football games every Friday night and it was just a big experience for them. So I felt like I kind of missed out on that. So when I was looking at going to college, being as big of a sports fan as I am, I did take football into account. I thought about, you know, when I looked at schools, I kind of thought about what their football program was like, what the entire experience was like. And I decided that NC State would be a really fun place to go for that. Once I got here, I wasn't let down by that at all. First game of my freshman year was against Virginia Tech, an ACC team. And it it was just so exciting to be able to go. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get a ticket as a freshman. I went through Student Wolfpack Club and met some people who were upperclassmen and found a way to get in. And that day is probably one of the days that I'll remember most about my entire college career. 
from waking up and going out in there and finally seeing the tailgating. And then when I got into the stadium and saw how packed it was, I mean, to me, that was a big time thing. I grew up with the only college football around me was Vanderbilt games and college football and Vanderbilt don't really go hand in hand. I mean, they, they play, but um, <laughs> it's just not a big experience there. So football to me here was just a huge part of my experience um, and something that I you know, looked forward to every Saturday during football season and something that once the season was over, I started counting down basically to the beginning of the next season. I've been through it all, whether it was hot, freezing, pouring down rain, and I can tell you that I never let it affect me. I always stayed at the game because the game is more important to me than how comfortable I am at a game. Because I figure if the players are going to be out there you know, playing in it, then I can be a fan and sit through it. There have been a few games where, especially over there in the student section, you're right there taking a beating from the sun the whole time. And, you know, there was one game, I think, where the stadium ran out of water, which, of course, at a hot game like that should never happen. But it did happen. And we stuck through it. Maybe we didn't have water. And maybe after the game, we were trying to get rehydrated for you know the next day or so. But it was still worth it. Beyond that, there have been some very cold games, too. And, you know, tailgating when it's cold isn't always the most fun um, because you're sitting there and sometimes you feel like your hand is going to fall off from holding a cold drink or something like that. But you just have to bundle up and prepare for it. I think probably the most memorable weather game for me, though, was the South Florida game during my senior year, I believe it was. It was the parents and families weekend. And it was a beautiful day leading up to the game. The tailgating was gorgeous. I mean, it was it wasn't too hot. It was sunny and everything. And then we got into the game and it just started raining. And it didn't seem like it was ever going to stop raining. It was raining so hard. And this was before they redid the field. I mean, there were puddles on the field. We were standing down on the front row of the student section and there was so much water running down through the stands that people were calf deep in water in the front of the stands there, but it didn't matter. We were staying. They had put in the student section these plastic bags that had some, you know, it was like a a marketing thing. It had some information in it about a, a company or something like that. And I just remember a bunch of us, we took all the stuff out of the bags and we took the bags like we thought it was going to help at all. And we, we put them over our heads like they were rain hats. It made for some really memorable experiences. Got some good pictures out of it. And, you know, once you start getting wet, you might as well stay. Because if you leave, you're just going to be, you're still going to be wet and miserable until you get home to dry off. Football as a sport is um, probably, I go, I go back and forth between whether I like football or college basketball more. Um, but they're both completely different things. And football as a sport, I think people just, if you really can, you know, take some time to learn the game, then you'll really appreciate it more. Especially college football, there's just nothing like it. You know, you can't um, compare any professional sporting events or any other college sporting events to the excitement of college football. And that was John Cooper Elias on Eye on the Triangle's VIP on WKNC 88.1. So now that you heard both sides, you can decide how you feel about football games. But now we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have some football player interviews that you can listen to, as well as season analysis, so don't go anywhere. And while you're waiting, you can check out wknc.org slash blog and read DJ Cade's blog post about Ariel Down performing the NC State fight song. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Welcome back to Eye on the Triangle. Next up, we have the continuation of our VIP segment. Hey guys, you're listening to Eye on the Triangles VIP. My name is Derek Medlin. I'm here today to talk a little bit about NC State football. Such asked me to come on. Uh, not sure how qualified I am to be here, but I'll give you a little rundown of uh, what makes me experienced enough to, to talk a little bit today. I uh, worked for a technician uh, from January of 2008 through April of 2009. Started in sports, uh, moved over to news, 
and then ended up in the uh, in the editor's office helping Sudge out as a managing editor for most of 2008-2009. I graduated from NC State in May with a degree in history signed by our former chancellor, James Oblinger. Hasn't really done much to help me get a job yet, but I'm still working on it. Right now, I'm working two part-time jobs. The first one is at Golf Galaxy in Cary. And I also work for PackPride.com. It's a website dedicated to covering NC State sports and NC State recruiting. I guess that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm qualified to be here, but maybe the other one. I've been an NC State fan, and I've followed NC State sports for as long as I can remember. Uh, Since 1991, I've been in the stands at Carter-Finley on Saturdays watching NC State play. So I feel like maybe I've I've seen a lot of what's gone on in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. And really, since I've been at NC State, I've paid, paid more attention than maybe anybody I know to uh to nc state sports other than my roommate brandon vick who is absolutely obsessed with nc state athletics but not that there's anything wrong with that so uh, i'm going to try and give you guys some knowledge today maybe a little bit better understanding about what nc state football is about and to allison Harmon, who i know is listening overseas right now thank you for listening i miss you hearts Again, you're listening to Eye on the Triangles VIP. I'm Seja Hindi. I asked Eric to talk a little bit about what players have to do to prepare for football games. And here's what he had to say. So I think one of the most important things that people need to realize when you're talking about what it takes to prepare for a football game is the, the sheer amount of time that these guys put in. It, it really is uh, something that the normal student who maybe just goes to class or does a couple extracurricular activities just doesn't quite understand. These guys are putting in a, a full week of classwork, and then they're spending probably three to four hours every day at minimum worried about football on top of that. They have to keep track of uh, what the other team's doing. They have to watch film about on their game and get graded out by the coaches to to figure out, you know, maybe if different players need to be playing or players need to be switching positions. And then they have a full week of practice and preparation for the for the opponent that week. It really is a lot. It it does amaze me that these guys can graduate in three years sometimes or three and a half years and they're they're walking around with three point eight GPAs and worried about football. You know, when I was at NC State, I didn't really have that much to do, at least for the first three years. I played uh, high school football and, and when I was in high school, you know, obviously completely different situation than what you're dealing with at NC State, but it's sort of the same thing. You go to class for six, seven hours a day, and then you go to football practice for three or four hours a day. I mean, by the end of the week, you're putting in 50, 60 hours, and I really don't think people quite understand that, and then the, I know people don't understand the pressures associated with what these guys are doing. They're playing football for a major Division One program. Some people may dispute whether NC State's a major Division One program, but I'll say that NC State's a major Division One program. The pressure that's put on them by fans, by coaches, by members of the media, it really is a lot. And, and to see these guys, you know, do it and succeed, it's a pretty impressive thing. Maybe even more impressive than that is the guys that do this as walk-ons. A lot of people don't know about walk-ons just because they don't, they're not the ones in the, in the newspapers. They're not the ones that are playing a lot of the snaps on the field, but walk-ons do the exact same amount of work as every player who has a scholarship, and they still pay their way to go to NC State. That, to me, is the epitome of dedication to something that people enjoy doing, whether it's football, basketball, volleyball, uh, soccer, whatever you want to talk about. For somebody to, to be paying their way to go to school and still put in that extra 20 to 30 hours a week to be a part of a team and contribute is really something that is a special thing and, and something that I don't think people quite understand. And another thing to keep in mind about these walk-ons is that they may never touch the field. In four years at NC State, they could get in the game a handful of times, and maybe it would be on senior day. These guys are putting in just as much work as everybody else and, and really don't get the credit that they, they maybe deserve. Uh, I tell you, the, the people who do understand what the what the walk-ons are worth are the scholarship players who rely on those guys for practice. Sudja and I went out to practice one day last week and uh, and talked to a couple different players about uh, you know what they go through in a week of preparation and what that's like for them. We got a chance to talk to Tony 
Tony Baker. He's a senior running back who uh, is back from a couple of years uh, where he was injured. He's playing well so far this season. And then we also talked to Donald Bowens, another injured player who's back after uh, a couple of tough years. These guys know what it's like to put in the put in the extra work to uh, recover from injury and then get back on the field and perform well. So like Derek said, for Eye on the Triangles VIP, we interviewed Tony Baker and Donald Bowens at a practice last week. Here's what senior running back Tony Baker had to say. I had to sum up a week of practice or a week of preparation in a couple sentences. What, how would you do that? Is there a way to do that? Intensity, you know, for the first two days, Tuesday, Wednesday, really intense. Uh, you know, just, just getting going and uh, getting the hard work that it takes to be a champion. You know, putting that work in. Thursday, uh, tough mental day. You know, getting loose, playing fast, and then Friday, uh, resting up, getting mentally ready, you know, getting your body ready, and Saturday, just let, cutting it loose. What are the uh, what are the few hours before you're, you're out on the field for warm-ups like? Like, so this game, this Saturday's at 3.30. What, um, what's it like between uh, 8 a.m. and noon? Well, you know, uh, you know, you get up, uh, you go eat some breakfast, you know, it's real, you know, everybody's really focused on what they need to do. Um, and really just uh, visualizing everything that you, you have to do uh, come 3.30, just really visualizing it and just uh, just being really focused. And then uh, when you get over here, just, you know, you put your iPod in, get your mind right, whatever you need to do, and then uh, you hit the warm-ups, then it's time to play. What would you say is one of the most important things that you have to do in preparation? Uh, knowing your assignments and being confident because uh, if you're confident, you know your assignments, then uh, you can play fast. You can play as fast as you need to. You don't have to second-guess anything, and you can be a great football player. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. Have a good one. All right. And now you can listen to our interview with wide receiver Donald Bowens. Could you just, like, walk us through a week before the game? A week before the game. Um, for the team. A <laughs> uh, week before the game. I mean, you got Monday off, Tuesday practice. Uh, go full pass Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, and I mean, it's pretty much the same Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday, we helmet practice, but I mean, we don't really take anything off. We still attack it like we're supposed to. Friday, walk-through day, and um, you know, get all the kinks out, touch up on different things we want to touch up on. Um, and I mean, in between those days, there's, lot, there's meetings here and there. And then uh, Friday, we go to the hotel, <laughs> team meal, whatever, and then Saturday is game day. It's pretty much, it's pretty simple. It's Coach OB, you know. It's one way, and then that's, that's how I say it's consistent. What is the most exciting thing for you in preparation for the most exciting thing is definitely game day, but, I mean, I actually, I mean, most people might, might not think of that, but, I mean, I'm actually excited to come out Tuesday because, you know, there's always something to work on. And then you got Monday off, and then I sit there sometimes thinking about, well, I messed this up, so I got to work on this. So I'm excited to come out practice Tuesday and um, get back to work and just try to, um, work out whatever I messed up on last week. What's it like, uh, obviously, the entrance at, Mer- at, at Carter Family is pretty special, but even even at an entrance, when you're running on the field at Wake Forest this Saturday, mm-hmm. what's that feeling like? It was a great feeling just to come out and Especially here, you know, you got the home crowd and you're coming out and everything. But also a way just to – and definitely for me just to be back, you know. Um, I feel like I'm truly blessed to be back. And for me uh, personally, it's just great to be able to run back out there with the team and be part of the team. And as a team perspective, I'm pretty sure all the guys will say is just, you know, we just thank God for being able to play the game, you know, and being able to go out there and participate and, and compete to win. Maybe listening to uh, Tony and Donald there gave you just a little bit more perspective on what these guys are going through during the week and uh, the build-up to a game. Uh, maybe not. But but that's okay either way. Uh, I'm sure you're going to be in Carter Finley regardless. So uh, I really just hope people understand that, that these guys are are having fun out there and they're and they're doing something they love. But it is it is work. 
it is almost like a job for them, and uh, they take it serious. So on that note, we'll talk a little bit about this past week's game against Wake Forest. Uh, it was the first road game of the season. It was also the first conference game of the season. Uh, big contest for the guys. Uh, NC State went into the game as a as a slight uh, underdog against Wake Forest, which isn't you know isn't uncommon when you're going on the road in the ACC uh, against against a solid ball team with a with a senior quarterback named Riley Skinner, who's who's a great player. It was a great game on Saturday. I, I actually got to cover the game for PackPride.com and uh, NC State. Uh, they didn't play up to their up to their best. Uh, they they made quite a few mistakes and had some missed opportunities. Uh, ended up falling thirty to twenty four in in a really good game. Uh, kind of a back and forth game where both teams weren't really playing all that well. There were some big plays, but but usually it was Wake Forest that made them. A uh, couple of really good touchdown passes by Riley Skinner in the second half, and then a uh, a huge kickoff return by one of their special teams guys late in the game that kind of kind of sealed the deal. NC State had an opportunity to to win the game late. They were down by six and uh, had the ball deep in Wake Forest territory, but just couldn't quite get it done. Russell Wilson threw his second interception of the day on that drive, and it really kind of ended the NC State's chances. You know, it was a tough loss. It was a game that a lot of NC State fans seemed to expect to win, and I know fans go into every game thinking that they're going to win. Um, for me personally, I, I had questions about the game going into it. I had some concerns about NC State and really wasn't overly surprised by the outcome. I was kind of surprised at how the game went as far as how many mistakes were made, especially by NC State, but as far as NC State losing by six on the road to Wake Forest doesn't necessarily surprise me. Doesn't give me any sort of a concern over what the rest of the season is going to be like, anything like that. Still think NC State has a solid team that can make some noise in the ACC and then and get to a bowl game and have a you know a successful season. The team's three and two right now. Last season at this time, the team was one and four. So you know, in Tom O'Brien's third year, there really are some improvements that you can see. There's work to be done, but that's always the case. So, you know, heading into this week, NC State has another home, uh, another ACC game. This time it's at home against Duke. Duke will be the underdog. NC State's going to be favored in this game probably by a touchdown or more. And, and should win. Duke is uh, Duke is a growing team, but but still very you know inexperienced and hasn't had a lot of success in the ACC. They're they're still kind of learning how to win over there. They played Virginia Tech really tough uh, last Saturday at their home stadium in Durham, and you know they could have pulled out that win. They didn't quite get it done, but but it shows that they're a program on the rise. You know David Cutcliffe uh, has them going in the right direction. So. You know, we'll see what happens this Saturday. It's a, it's a 4 o'clock start on ESPNU. Should be uh, good weather from what I've seen so far. Should be a good crowd. There always is at Carter-Finley. Uh, it'll be a new field after the U2 concert this past Saturday. They completely tore up the field, brought in uh, all new grass that they had been growing. Uh, I think they were growing it in Alabama, so uh, the field will be looking good. Uh, hopefully the weather holds up, and, and we'll see how things go. You know, I really think NC State should win the game. They they have they have a better better all-around talent, in my opinion. They have a really good quarterback in Russell Wilson. Duke has a great quarterback, too, and a four-year starter named Thaddeus Lewis. They also have a young quarterback that's seen some action this year who who will probably get in the game from time to time in, uh, in Saturday's game. So, you know, it, it really... Uh, any game in the ACC is going to be tough, but you know NC State should pull this one out. I think the score you're probably looking somewhere around 31 to 20 NC State, something to that effect. I really think Duke's going to have a hard time stopping the NC State offense. The the, the state offense has been playing well. This uh, past Saturday against Wake Forest was really the first time that we've seen kind of NC State struggle on offense from time to time, and and it was a new thing. And I think uh, Tom O'Brien will get things worked out this week and and have NC State ready to go, and and they'll be ready to go. I mean, it's a big ACC game to go. Um, NC State doesn't need to lose. You you fall to zero and two in the in the division and and in the conference. You got a long road ahead of you, and uh, the ACC is not exactly the strongest conference this year, so it's kind of up for grabs. NC State uh, has a great chance to play well and and maybe end up in the uh, ACC. 
ACC championship game in Tampa Bay later in uh, in December. But they got to perform on the field, and, and it starts again this Saturday with Duke. And I'm sure the players will be ready for the game coming off a loss. They'll be looking to uh, get back on the winning track and uh, and start the rest of their season off right. Thanks, Derek. That was Eye on the Triangle's VIP. If you like hearing Derek's commentary, be sure to check out Eye on the Triangle every week. We're adding a new sports segment that you won't want to miss. Music news. Filling in for Kelly, who's on a brief sojourn to Washington, D.C. this week, I'm Mike Alston for Hear This. This week, we're going to take a look at some of the great local music that's in large part collecting dust in our vaults. First, I'm going to look at the backsliders. Next up, Jacob's going to look at Boy Wonder Jinx. And finally, Rachel will look at the ladderback. If you could travel 12 years in the past and ask anyone at the Comet Lounge or the brewery on a Friday night in downtown Raleigh, they'd likely guarantee you that the Backsliders were the next big thing. The Backsliders formed in 1994 with Chip Robinson doing the primary songwriting, singing, and playing guitar. Alongside Robinson were Danny Kurtz, Jeff Dennis, and Brad Rice. If the Backsliders had a niche, it was one for whiskey-soaked rock and roll that was as much about guitar solos as it was about a truck not starting or losing a lover. Robinson's onstage histrionics were just another part of the package as well. The Backsliders broke up in 1999 as a result of what can be called euphemistically creative differences. However, you can still catch Chip in two projects, Chip Robinson and the Heavy Beat Outfit or the Vibe Killers. He released a solo album this year called Milo. Here's a clip of the song Abe Lincoln off of the 1999 Backsliders release Southern Lines, put out in the very final days of the band's existence. Joining Kelly and looking through the vault of local music history in WKNC's library, I was very happy to be reacquainted with Boy Wonder Jinx. It's a band that came gate-crashing from Fairview Park, Ohio in 1994 and decided to stay right here in their new home, Raleigh, North Carolina. They were a keyboard-bass-drums combo that led with the vocals. If you're a serious concert-goer here in the city of Oaks, their lineup should strike a familiar chord with you. It features Scott Phillips on keyboards and vocals, Dan Phillips also on vocals, Todd Flash Miller on the drums, and Greg Iman playing the bass. Shortly after the release of their second album and one of 1998's best, The Problem With Fun, Dan left the band, followed by Todd. Dan Phillips now performs around the area under the handle of Zapparator Point. Greg Iman and Scott Phillips picked up Chris Dalton and transformed the Boy Wonder Jinx into Goner. Thank you. 
The latter back was a five-piece hardcore math rock band from Raleigh, North Carolina, formed in 1996. Their last album, Trigger Themes, was recorded at Bifocal Media by Charles Cardello. Trigger Themes is sonically diverse with jammy bass sounds, heavy pounding drums, and perfectly perfected guitar riffs. One could compare this band as a mix of Hella and Caltrop. The band went their separate ways in 2002. Some went on to form the band Content, and today you can find Jason Alward playing in Valiant Thor. Music. Be sure to listen to the local lunch Monday through Friday from 12 to 1 and the local beat Fridays from 5 to 8. This has been Hear This. Thanks for listening to Eye on the Triangle. Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. Call him a photographer, call him a videographer, call him whatever you will. Jason Arthurs would tell you that first and foremost, he's a storyteller. After graduating in 2003 from UNC Chapel Hill with a degree in photojournalism, he has since traveled and come back to North Carolina, working for four North Carolina newspapers, including Raleigh's own News and Observer, where you've probably seen his contributions to David Menconi's annual Grade 8 Local Music Spotlight. Jason now operates as a freelance photojournalist, and closer to home, he produced a video for the Hear Hear Local Music compilation. He was nice enough to sit down with us and discuss art, journalism, and the gray area in between as they exist in the triangle. All right, so I'm joined by Jason Arthurs, uh, suffice it to say, freelance photojournalist. Is that right? Sounds good. So, so what's your take on photojournalism as it applies to what we might call art? I think that the way photojournalism is changing can be seen in a lot of, of what's going on with newspapers and online media right now. And there's a lot of people that are breaking away from the really traditional ways that stories were told in journalism and branching into actually including more art of an artistic vision. Mm-hmm. And the way things are presented online really gives people an opportunity to push the envelope so to speak, maybe a little bit more with with what they're willing to experiment with because now everything's out there together on the internet. In a way, storytellers and and journalists are now competing with amateurs that have really good skills and really unique visions and were never bound by any kind of visual constraints. So really, if we go back two or three years ago, people thought blogs were the poor man's media outlet, but it seems like they almost have the ability to do more with the internet, it's so easy to be aware of what else is going on out there, mm-hmm. and and people's work can be kind of pushed through a lot more and a lot faster. You know, at the at the newspaper where I worked before, at the News and Observer, in a way, there's a built-in audience, and people are sort of forced to look at your work, so to speak, every day in the paper. But with the internet, you know, there isn't necessarily so much of a built-in audience. People have to look to find what you're doing, right? And you're now competing with, like I said, you know, bloggers or other freelance videographers or mm-hmm. photographers that are trying really new things and really pushing the limits of, of the technology right now. Which could be viewed as dangerous, but for you, probably exciting. It's definitely exciting for me right now and branching out of what I've always known as being a, a form of storytelling or art, so to speak, and now able to really take a step back and have other people push me and say, you know, this is the way you've always done it, but 
what if you try to recreate this film look or really push hard to, you know, dirty up the footage or try more experimental editing uh-huh. techniques. And, you know, those things are really cool to me right now. And, you know, I don't want to ever get too far down a road of being gimmicky with what right. you can do with digital technology. And, you know, I just downloaded this iPhone application called the best <laughs> camera app. And, you know, there's all these gimmicks. And after a few days, it gets old so quickly. Uh-huh. So, that's the other kind of dark road that I feel like having all this technology available. You know, you don't have to know Photoshop now to get this crazy desaturated look to your photos. You just run a quick filter on it that you can download for free or right. for two ninety nine. So it's it's scary to think how easy it is, but it also really pushes me as a professional to to make my work in a way that's not going to be trendy and it's not going to disappear. To stand above those people who are downloading a 99 cent application. Exactly, exactly. Um, Which so I'm let, one of those people, by the way. <laughs> You're both. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the change here. Now, you used to work for the News and Observer, like you were saying, and now you're a freelance photojournalist. I imagine that's been liberating. Uh, talk a little bit more about that. What are you doing specifically that you weren't doing a year ago? One of the things that I've gotten a lot more into is showing people kind of in an element that I control. In the newspaper and in the storytelling world, it's very much you take your vision and you have to figure out a way to best tell the story within the parameters of what that form of journalism will offer. But I found that now I work with people a lot more closely in deciding Mm -hmm. how they want to be portrayed almost relinquishing some power that I kind of held as a professional journalist. But I'm in the process now of taking some of that power back and saying, well, these are my ideas. Mm-hmm. And an example of that is I had just finished doing a video for the the band Influential. And I met them through an assignment at the News and Observer when I worked on the grade eight. They're really awesome guys. And we got along. We ended up editing a video for them. And they said, well, the song is about, you know, all these police brutality killings that have gone on. Mm-hmm. Do you think it'd be possible to go back in and find some footage related to these these shootings that we uh-huh. might be able to use. And that's something I would never, never think to do on my own working at a newspaper, because right. to me, that's almost a form of editorializing or trying to shove something down uh-huh. people's throats. And they wanted to really have make a powerful statement, right. which with the journalism background, I felt like that did go in with what I had learned and what I knew, but it was right. a different way of telling that story of right. the song visually. I think we're able to work in, you know, a nice mix of getting the point of that song across visually without Without overdoing it. Exactly. Yeah. So talking about the influential video, when you find out what clients want, sometimes that can be static photography or video. Now you can obviously do both. Now, where did you learn this? Yeah, well, I basically started off in the journalism school at UNC. At the time, there wasn't really a clear path for journalists to go Mm -hmm. into doing video that wasn't TV video. And now I think there's more of a clear path. But at the time, I maybe got a little scared and decided, well, I'll do still photography. You know, you kind of peek out from the student world into the real world. Uh You don't really see anyone that's supporting themselves under that model. And it's a little bit frightening. Yeah. And I maybe decided to take the the path of going toward newspapers, which which was awesome. And it really was good for me to learn a, Mm -hmm. a, a really diverse set of skills. But now I'm in the freelance world and trying to branch out and do other things for for a lot of different types of clients. You know, not just a certain readership that's kind of built in. Now, when you're in the school of journalism and specifically photojournalism, what's the preparation entailed? When when I was in school, I graduated in 2003. When I graduated, 
those multimedia skills, I think, were uh-huh. more considered bonus skills. Like, right. oh, and by the way, I can do this. But <laughs> now those skills are built into the program for sure, basic skill. Mm-hmm. And being able to edit audio and edit some video and know how to compose an interview and get good sound, you know. With most storytelling being really circulated online now, I think those skills are going to are be really crucial, especially in the next, you know, five years. So from the preparation at UNC, what were the other people in your class doing and how did that lead you towards freelance to where you can support yourself in that environment? You know, when I look at where I was personally when I graduated from UNC and what my goals were, which was to get a full-time staff job at a newspaper, the problem was what that actually looked like when I entered into that reality wasn't really what I was prepared for mm-hmm. as far as a long-term job situation. Right. And the great thing about learning how to network when you're entering into this world and this business and mm-hmm. getting to know as many people as you can. It's funny, the way I got involved with the Here Here compilation was I had photographed and done a video of Lonnie Walker when I worked at the News and Observer. And I was actually driving away from Cup of Joe. I saw Brian from Lonnie Walker and he said, this new studio just opened up and they're doing all kind of cool stuff. And I said, well, I don't know if you know, I'm not the News and Observer anymore, but I love to be involved in some way. And I make sure you have my number or whatever. Within an hour, BJ Burton from Flying Tiger (laughs) Studios called me and he's telling me where his studio is. And I realized it was a block from my house. And so I'm like, dude, are you serious? I'm going to walk down there right now. And when I found out the studio was literally on basically the same block that Uh I live, I knew that I'd be able to hop in there while bands are recording and do all kind of cool stuff Mm -hmm. there. And then he and I kind of became friends and I was able to to put together that little video for the Here Here compilation. So literally from just leaving Cup of Joe. So yeah, that's just one example of how I think getting your name out there and talking to as many people as you can and you never know what opportunities are going to come up from just the most random chance encounters. And that's a big part of being, I think, being in the art world and being in the storytelling and journalism Mm. world. It's, It's just really amazing to see how many great artists and how many great people there are around here and there's just so much going on and people seem to always want to connect and work together which i think is an awesome thing about this community thanks so much for coming in awesome yeah Um, thanks for having me yeah and you have a website jasonarthurs.com and that's a-r-t-h-u-r-s jasonarthurs.com awesome thanks man thanks again to jason arthurs for stopping by and some of his work including his here here compilation video will be on our website along with this story Student of the Week on Eye on the Triangle. Talking with Wolfpackers that are leading the pack. Eye on the Triangle's Wolfpacker of the Week, Liz Walters, joins us to discuss the Campus Arts Council, alternative spring break trips, and her participation in the study abroad program and leads. Um, hi, my name is Liz Walters, and I'm a senior here at NC State, and I am majoring in graphic design, and I have a double minor in environmental science and business management. And I'm involved on a lot with Arts NC State here on campus. So I have worked with Student Art Purchase with Campus Arts Council a lot. And I'm a member of Chi Omega Fraternity. And I have also studied abroad um, last semester and have done multiple alternative spring break trips as well as um, worked with the CSLEPS office on various other projects and service projects. I really enjoy the arts here on campus and I think it's a really great opportunity that students have here on campus that people don't really take full advantage of because we have a great season now coming up with over a hundred different performances and university theater is all 
the students here on campus and they do some great productions and we also have a lot of good people that come into the arts programs uh, from outside theaters so that's the center stage and there's just some really great opportunities there and like that's what I do with campus arts council a lot is trying to promote a lot of those events that students don't hear about a lot and don't take advantage of. Campus arts council itself deals with a lot of different things we try to interact and promote all the different arts so fine arts as well as performing arts. We focus mainly on performing arts but every year we hold a student art purchase and that's a really great way for students who aren't necessarily like in the design school or or in the textile school. They can, if they just do art on the side as a hobby, it's a way for them to promote themselves and to promote their artwork and they can submit it and then um, it's under a jury to get purchased by NC State to be um, hung in Tally Student Center. And then we're also trying to work to get it hung elsewhere on campus so that we're trying to broaden our horizon there, which is really great. And we also, Campus Arts Council does a lot as well with trying to get people to go places they haven't. For First Friday, um, we try and take people who have never heard of First Friday downtown to look at all the different galleries that are open because that's a really great event that people don't know about. And basically what First Friday is is all the arts galleries um, downtown around like Moore Square, like Art Space, and then the Fish Market, which is actually associated with College of Design, open up all their doors um, uh, late, usually it starts at like 6 and then ends around 11 or so. And there's just usually like food and drink and then um, a chance for people to walk around. And it gets people downtown, gets people involved. And it's a really fun night with different fun cult-like atmosphere, people walking around. And downtown Raleigh usually doesn't look like that except for on First Friday. It's a really great event. So Campus Arts Council tries to bring people there to show them what that is. I've also been involved with the CSLEPS office and have my freshman year I went on an alternative spring break trip to Belize and it was the environmental trip and that was a really, it was an amazing time. We did a host stay with families down in the um, small town in Belize and we got to meet the locals and um, work on building a cacao drying like cacao bean like drying rack and it was just a really great opportunity to um, meet people outside of campus or like outside of the organizations I was already involved in and it was a spring break trip that is like no other because um, like a lot of other spring break trips that students go out and (laughs) do when they're in college it was a way to go and really give back to the community and feel like you're making a difference and I'm actually going on the alternative winter break trip Um, which I think it's only its second year of going. And um, I'm going to the Dominican Republic over winter break um, with Orphanage Outreach. And I'm really excited about that one, too, because you work with kids and get to see the Dominican Republic from a different side than if you're just going to a resort. Like, you get to see the community and you get to interact with community members and um, really see the actual culture. You're not so removed from it, like on a normal spring break, which is really great and I just uh, it's a wonderful experience and I think it's something that everybody should try once. When I was studying abroad um, I was in Leeds, England which is um, about an hour from Manchester and four hours north of London. Everybody always assumes I was in London when I say I studied abroad in England but um, it was a really great city. There's a lot of culture there, a big scene. The university was about the same size as uh, NC State, about 30,000 undergrad. 
Um, and there's just a really diverse culture there with so many different student organizations that you can get involved in. And the classes there were so much fun because you're taking a semester abroad. You don't have to stick necessarily with your your plan for your major. You can kind of take some off off-beaten courses. So I know some of the friends I met took like beer making class, which was an actual class that you could get credit for. And uh, their final project was to brew their own beer, which I thought was really fun and something that would never be offered in the States. So it's classes like that where it's almost worth going abroad to find classes that you can never take here and something you might be interested in, but NC State doesn't offer. And then you can take them abroad somewhere else. I don't know if I'm ready to grow up and be out of school yet. <laughs> University is so much fun, and I was thinking about all the things that I did and all the other things that I would like to do. Students on NC State's campus, there's so much to offer, and there's so much, so many opportunities that I don't want to graduate so I can take advantage of the extracurricular stuff. <laughs> and if you would like to participate in art-related extracurricular activities here on NC State's campus, you can go to the second floor of the Tally Student Center and go to Ticket Central or call 515-1100. Thank you very much, Liz Walters. Eye on the Triangles, Wolfpacker of the Week. Sound Bites on Eye on the Triangle. Opinions from around the NC State campus. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm Seja Hindi. Last week's sound bites were about what students think of the Rally for Tally campaign. The campaign encouraged students to vote in favor of an $83 fee increase next year and one exceeding, not exceeding, $290 for up to the next 30 years to renovate the student center and the atrium. Students can vote in support or opposition of this fee and all other fees until 11.59 p.m. tonight at vote.ncsu.edu. And now on to sound bites. I'm Caitlin Cauley, here for Eye on the Triangle Sound Bites. This week, we asked students what they think of the Rally for Tally campaign. Well, I keep hearing about the Rally for Tally thing, but I haven't really been interested at all. It seems to me, I don't go to Tally Student Center that much, just a few times a week to get lunch. And I haven't seen any need for improvement, really. Sean, I'm majoring in computer science. I don't want to pay for it if I'm not going to be using it directly. My name is Patrick. I'm a marine science major. I think that we're spending way too much money on it, and it would be better spent elsewhere. My name is Kimberly Pickford. I'm a zoology major. Uh, I have literally no idea what this question even refers to. Uh, Caleb Dansky, philosophy major. When it comes to the rally for tally, my personal opinion is that we as a student body should be willing um, to pay the amount of money that is going to be needed for the project. A lot of hay has been made out of this student fee, and student government has been able, and other student leaders has been able to knock the fee down from, I think it was about 400 something dollars to an incremental fee topping off at 290 Do you want to make the investment, take pride in your university, and be able to come back and say, I helped build this, I was there, I took a part in making this university better? My name is Brad Kennedy. I'm the publicity chairman for, uh, chairman for student government. My major is political science and English. This has been Sound Bites on Eye on the Triangle.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Don't forget to tune in next Monday from 7 to 8. You can also email us at publicaffairs at wknc.org with comments, questions, or suggestions. And don't forget to check out our blog at wknc.org slash blog.